Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance. Welcome to the University of Adversity. This episode is brought to you by Mic Up Podcast Productions. Have you guys ever wanted to start a podcast, but you just don't know how, you don't know what to do, and really you just don't have time to do it? Well, that's why we exist. We want to help you be able to grow your brand, your influence through podcasting. Being able to build these relationships in, in, a, in, a, in a way that intimate like podcasting has been one of the biggest things that has completely changed my life. Having a podcast has been the number one personal development tool in my life as well as the best networking tool. But a lot of people just don't know how to do all the things. So we got you covered in that area. Also, if you have a podcast, but you realize the amount of work that it takes, this is the opportunity for somebody else to take care of it for you. Have all the fun without all the BS. I know your team's busy, you're busy, you don't want to deal with it. Let us take it over for you. We have two different packages for you. We're also in the process of working on a, a powerful course that if you do want to do it yourself and learn start to finish and end, we got that as well in the works. But for now, we either have the full launch, start from scratch, launch the podcast, or if you have a podcast and you want us to take it over, we got you covered. It's my company. This is something that I'm going to be talking about more in the podcast episodes. I haven't really used it as a sponsor in any episodes. Well, I've used it a little bit, but not that much. But I just going to be really pushing this because we are opening up the doors for a few spots. There's a couple spots, a few spots left, and we want to bring on the next few podcasts, but we can't take everybody. We can only take a few at this moment. And as we grow, we'll be able to take more. So if you guys want more information on Mic Up podcasts, if you guys want to start one or you want us to take yours over, hit me up on the DMs of Instagram, lance.esios. Hit me up and we will book a call and find out your needs. All right. Enjoy the episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. We have such a powerful episode. Just recorded this. And this perspective around adversity and the story and what you're about to hear is just so powerful. And this was one of my favorite conversations that I've had in a long time. There was just so much powerful information in such a different perspective that I haven't personally heard before that had just made me think differently. And isn't that what life's about? just think learning and, and thinking differently and being open to different ideas. And today's conversation was just that. We have Coot Blackson, who's joining us today. He is a beloved inspirational speaker and transformational teacher. He is the author of the national best-selling book, You Are the One, and his brand new book, The Magic of Surrender, which we get into right away. This perspective on surrender is really something amazing to listen to. He is widely considered the next generation leader in the field of personal development and has been featured on Larry King Now as well. Inc. Magazine calls him the mindfulness guru billionaires go to for advice. He was born in Ghana, West Africa. Coot's multicultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and a, a Ghanaian father has, been, has spanned for four different continents. For over 20 years, Coot has been inspiring audiences around the world, and his mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people from across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. We get into the story around him losing his mother, what he learned from that, and just the magic of surrender, what it means through working through adversity, all the things, you guys. So get ready for a powerful episode. You don't want to miss this one. And I promise you that if you are a note taker, you're going to want to take notes on this, whether it's on your phone or write it down. This one's fire. All right, here we go. Coot Blatson coming right up. Welcome to University of Adversity, my man. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to talk to you, man, because there's so many different people that teach you know, transformation and personal development. And I'm always, I always like hearing people's different strategies and ideas and really, you know, how they got into it in the first place and, you know, what the journey looked like. So first off, I would love to, first of all, I want to talk about your book, The Magic Surrender, right off the bat, because that's a big thing that I find in that word surrender gets, you know, a lot of people say it, but I don't know if a lot of people understand it. So in context, 
Talk to us about the magic of a surrender and what inspired you to write that and what does that mean to you? Yeah, this was not the book that I thought I was going to list off the bat. I had all of these ideas of books I thought would sell, books I thought people wanted, books I thought would be a bestseller, books I thought I should write for several reasons. And I remember I, I basically had an entire whiteboard on a wall full of ideas and concepts and brainstorms and titles. And it felt like trying to force something to fit, like to force a circle into a square and it wasn't quite fitting. You know, that's why I tell people ju just because you make something be something doesn't mean it's so, or doesn't mean it's right. And when I kind of gave up one day, I figured nothing's, I'm not truly inspired. And then I just let go. I stopped trying to force things. I saw the only word that st stood out for me on this whiteboard was the word surrender. That was it. It was like, I was like, oh shit. It was one of those moments where I thought, that's the book. It's about surrender. But my mind is telling me, but I don't want to write about surrender. And there's so many ideas and man, you're like going to the dentist who the fuck wants to surrender. And, you know, so I was like, huh. But it was undeniable that I felt the soul of the book in that moment. For me, it was undeniable that I literally felt that that was the concept and the theme that I was born to write about. I was born to write about this. And I saw my entire life, how my entire life, my mother, my father, my upbringing prepared me to write book of surrender, translating it, reframing it for the modern day, for the new times, for the new generation. So I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written, not necessarily the book I thought I was going to write. And I think that's part of surrender. It's the willingness to stop resisting. It's the willingness to uh, give up the idea of who we think we should be and the life we think we should be living and, and, and how we think things should be so that we can open to how things are and what is seeking to happen. And so that's how the part of the book came about. The book also came about for me because in 2016, I was traveling the world you know, pre-COVID, obviously, on the road promoting my other book, You Are The One, and I'm on top of the world. And I get a phone call and I'm told that my mother has stomach cancer. My mother was everything to me. She was the closest person to me. I loved her as much as I could love any human being. I mean, she raised me. She was there for me. She, she showed me unconditional love. And so to hear that my mother had stomach cancer was so incredibly crushing and devastating. You know, life has a way of humbling you in your highest moments. I just got off of being interviewed with Larry King, who was a childhood hero, and my book is a bestseller. It's like, yeah, hey, your mother has stomach cancer. And so I basically flew to London. My mother lived in London and I was in LA. When I started flying to London every, every month, basically, every four weeks, every five weeks to be with her during her chemo sessions. And I would sit with her in chemo and hold her hand. We would talk for eight, eight hours in chemo as she's been pumped with all this stuff. And I had gone into this process with my mother with every intention. I was going to heal her. I was going to use alternative therapies. I was going to feed her green juice. I was going to use all sorts of energy and Reiki, what have you to, I was going to get her well. And a few weeks into the process, I realized very soon that she was going to die. And I realized that Nothing I did, no amount of prayer, no amount of meditation, no matter of plant medicine, no matter of nothing was going to save her life. And that was a moment, a very humbling moment of really be personally being forced to surrender. And that really also opened up such a depth of, of love for my mother and an understanding of the nature of life in that moment and how every moment is so incredibly precious. And I got, so I got to be with my mother during this time. And Started off as the worst moment of my life or one of the worst times of my life, worst years of my life, I thought, turned out to be the best year of my life. And I got to be with her and hang out with her, talk with her and spend time with her. And I realized, shit, why, 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 did, why did I wait till she was dying to just sit and have conversation and spend six hours and five hours? And, and the book of Surrender really came about too, because five months into this process, the doctors basically directly told her. There's nothing else we can do. There's no point in doing surgery. So get your affairs in order in a nice way. You're going to die. And I'm telling you that moment hit me so hard, man. I mean, I, I had, there were tears, tears feeling the reality. This is it in my journey with the person I love the most, my mother. And in the hospital outside, I looked at my mother and I asked her two things. The first thing was, are you afraid? I mean, it's easy to be all confident when everything is going well and we're healthy and vibrant, but when you faced with your mortality in reality, it's another thing. And she looked at me and she said, I'm not afraid. 
I said, why not? She said, because I know. It's one thing to know. I know I'm not just this body. I, this body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul that is evolving. And, I, and just because the body dies, I, I won't die. I'm going to be with you. I will be here. What my soul is, is eternal, beyond birth, beyond. And I was kind of stunned for a moment, just feeling the conviction of this little Japanese woman as my mother, you know, and she looked at me unfazed, man, unfazed, fearless, fearless, just looking at me. And I said to her, mom, what, what can I do for you before you, in your final days? Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I wanted to be a good son. What do you need? Basically is what I asked. And this is where I think the seed of the surrender book was planted. And I got to see and experience surrender in action, you know, in reality, looking at my eyes. And she said, there's nothing I need. There's nothing else. What do you need? Because there's nothing I need anymore. All I want is what God wants for my life. That's it. And, and it wasn't a religious conversation. It was profound because I realized that she was in such peace, such peace in the face of death, that she wasn't attached to living and she wasn't attached to dying. She was in profound, a profound state of surrender, deep acceptance, beyond acceptance, which we'll get to beyond acceptance is surrender. And she was in surrender. And so she passed away. That was a whole nother process I went through, surrendering to the feelings, surrendering to the grief, allowing that. And as I was reflecting on the book, I, re I was reflecting on my mind and how this Japanese woman married an African guy, couldn't even speak the same language, didn't even know him, agreed to get married sight unseen, having never met him. I mean, she'd been living surrender her entire life. And I looked at all of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, you know, Martin Luther King, Mandela, Mother Teresa. I mean, the, li Oprah, the list goes on. They all at some moment had to get to the point of surrendering themselves to life, to their deeper purpose. And it's in that surrender that they tapped into another dimension of life, another dimension of themselves. And life began to live with them. Life began to express through them. Life began to manifest through them. And I believe and in my experience that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I believe in my experience that surrender is the key to the great ones, the key to greatness, and it's the password to freedom. We often think in our culture, as you said, there's so many ideas of what is surrender and misconceptions. To me, surrender has gotten a bad rap. It's kind of like going to the freaking dentist, surrender shit. I don't want to go to the dentist. I don't want to surrender. It's like, why, why, why? To me, I want to reframe surrender for people as like, it's making love. It's not going to the dentist. It's making love the most ecstatic orgasm with the most loved one. That is real surrender. Like, what if it was that? It is. That's what I want people to know. So there's a misconception of surrender, that surrender was weak, that surrender was passive, that if you surrender, you're going to be a doormat. If you surrender, you're going to take, be taken advantage of. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals and your dreams and your desires. It won't happen if you surrender. It's giving up. It's being lazy. It's passive. I'm actually saying, what if you surrender and you didn't get less, you got more? You got more, more than you could even imagine or have imagined with your mental ego identity, human capacity for yourself, more than you could ever imagine to write on your vision board or your poster board or your goal list when you surrender. More joy, more love, more abundance, more purpose, more. What is that more beyond what you can even imagine? To me, that is the magic. And so to surrender is to let go of control or at least the idea of control that we thought we had, because I think control is a master addiction. And if we look at 2020, I think many of us, we had all of these plans, but we began to realize maybe we're not as in control as we thought. And so surrender is letting go of this notion of control, this idea that we're in control. Surrender is to stop trying to control all the things that we definitely don't have control over. Surrender is to stop manipulating and forcing and trying to make shit be what it's not and make fit life into this limited box based on our mind of which is conditioned. And so when we try to fit life into what we think it should be, you end up living a conditioned life. And so surrender is to stop trying to force life to fit this idea of we think it should be mm. and truly open in the way I was saying open, open to life. And I think when we can really live in that availability, and openness and curiosity, 
and, and, and heart wide openness, you know, then we take the limits off of life. That's when we, we, we tap into a dimension of infinite possibilities in life. Life unfolds, life works through us. So just to give people some, some two specific questions, the old paradigm I feel is dead. The old paradigm is dying. 2020, 20, like this shift we're going through this last year, I believe is life's way of initiating us as a human species into a whole new way of living, which is about living in harmony with life, living in harmony with the flow, living in harmony with the universe, living in harmony with ourselves, which is really about surrender. The old paradigm is about ego and control, ego and control. The old egoic model of creating and manifesting your life, you manifest and you are the doer and you make shit happen. Now, what I will say is yeah, you, you could live a, a good life. It doesn't, you, you couldn't be rich and make money and be successful living that way, but it will often be a limited life because it's a life created by the ego and the, le- the ego is, is based on the past and conditioning. From that old model, we ask ourselves the question, what, here's what we ask, what we've been conditioned to ask, even by self-help books. What do you want? What do I want? What do you want? Know what you want. You've got to have clarity on what you want. Get clear, write it down and get clear. Have the challenges. What we, what we often don't realize is when we manifest that way, often what we think we want is only what we think we, based on who we think we are. So okay. how, yeah, if we're not in touch with what we really are, then we do manifest only to realize, shit, this isn't what I really wanted. It's just what I thought I wanted. And many of our goals and dreams and things we go for often end up being unconscious projections of our past, of our childhood, of unmet needs. Dad wasn't there. Mom wasn't there. We were bullied. We were the fat kid, the skinny kid. We weren't loved. We thought unworthy, insecure. So if I could just get that for eight zillion dollars, achieve that thing, then I'm going to finally be okay like I wasn't, but nothing outside of ourselves really fulfills that sense of disconnect or lack inside. And so the old ego-based paradigm is, is tends to reinforce that way of creating. The way I'm inviting people when we think of surrender is a different question. Not simply, well, what do I want? What, we don't ask ourselves the question, who is the I that's wanting, right? We don't ask ourselves, who is the I? So we have to ask ourselves a deeper question, which in the paradigm of surrender, in the invitation of surrender, is really asking yourself, the question, what is it that life is seeking to express through? What is it that my soul is seeking? What is the deepest impulse of what my soul is seeking to express? What is life seeking to manifest through me, create through me, live through me, you know, love through me, write through me, podcast through me? What is life seeking to express? And I think part of the path is to allow ourselves to become open and attuned to the deepest impulse and movement and expression of our truth, of our authenticity, of our souls. And then feeling that, listening to that, aligning ourselves with that flow, that deeper intelligence and flow of life and aligning ourselves, our resources, our money, our strategy, our actions with that, and then taking action in that aligned way. So, so when it doesn't mean just to be clear, being lazy, sitting around and waiting, not taking action, it means catching that deep, authentic vision for what life is seeking to express, aligning with that, and then taking action, then giving everything. But what you're giving everything to is authentic and it's true. And it's, it's the conditioned mind or ego strategies that's trying to get something in order to fulfill something. And that's when mm-hmm. I think we tap into to magic. And that's when I feel life starts supporting us in many ways, you know? So you take action, you give 100%, but I think it's also important that you don't attach to the outcome. Yep. You don't attach to the result because sometimes what you think you want is not really what you want. What you think you want or that goal is just a necessary puzzle piece in the evolutionary process of your life that you need to go in that direction to pursue that goal, but the goal is not the goal. It's just taking you on a journey of what you need to learn so that you can then move in this direction. But when we get so attached, it's got to be this and it has to be that. And that person has to be the one and it's got, this has got to be the outcome. We start limiting life. And so surrender is to stay open and not limit life, but it does mean give a hundred percent to each moment. So I think surrender is an active thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a key. So that's a bit of a, a framework of foundation. Ooh, I love that, man. There's so much there. So. I agree there, you know, a lot of people talk about getting super clear and having that intention and all of that. And I like, I liked how you explain that, how 
it's almost a limit. It's a limitation because it's only projecting a story of the past of what we've done or what we think we want. So we don't really know the, the capabilities or the possibilities that we have if we just surrender to the idea that like there's so much endless opportunity out there that we almost limit ourselves from the thing that we think we want. Yes. Yeah. We, we project this goal and we're like, oh, I want this thing and my soulmate's got to look like this. Yeah. It's got to be like this. But, but, but the mechanism, the identity yeah. construct that is deciding is functioning based on past experience, past, yeah. past conditioning. And so whatever we create for ourselves is still inside of a, of a matrix, a foundation of limitation. Yeah. So then we create, and it might be great, but it's still, li it's still limited. Like you look at Mandela, there's no way Mandela could have imagined. Yeah, great strategy. I will spend 27 years in prison and then I'm going to be Mandela. That, 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 that's, that's beyond. And so when you surrender, you step outside, mm -hmm. you transcend the past, you transcend ego, you transcend identity and you turn into that's why you tap into a timeless sort of possibility that is not limited to what you've done before. And that's why I say what life, when you surrender, what life, God, the universe, whatever you believe, what life can do through you is more than what you, you as a limited I do, do can do on your own. And I think that's where you tap in. That's why I call it the magic of surrender, you know, because the magic what I mean by magic is not like a hocus pocus strategy. The magic is shit. What you can't even imagine for yourself, what you couldn't even think of for yourself because it's beyond, you know, Martin Luther King, Mandela, Mother Teresa, they could not have planned that life. You know, they could not have sat down and strategized that life. Gandhi couldn't have planned that impact, but they surrendered. Life lived them. They surrendered the potential of life manifested through them and did the work and had the impact. And that impact, that impact is still, even once their human selves has dissolved, they've died. The impact of the Gandhis and the Mandelas and the Jesuses and the, you know, all these great ones still, still happening decades, decades later. That's the power of Sulev. I'm going to go back and talk about your mom for a second. Cause you're the story, you know, I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer and it happened yeah. very sudden. So I yeah. can really relate. I didn't have the time to spend with them that, you know, I, I wish I would have, but you know, it, it was tough. But what I, what I, I, I want to talk about is, you know, you talked about your mom, not having attachment to like letting go and just being okay with what's happening. Yeah. What did you learn from her growing up as a Japanese woman? Like what were some of the cultural things that she did to kind of get to that place like that? Because you had to have learned. You had to have learned that, that be sting beautiful energy somehow, right? Yeah. I'll be honest, man. I didn't realize who my mother really was. That's the honest truth. She was just my mom. I love my freaking mom. I just loved yeah. her, but it's my mom, but I love, you know, she's the best thing in my life. And in this year, I got to realize that she was uh, enlightened. Really? Got goosebumps, man. And, and <laughs> I didn't know it, you know, yeah. wow. I had no idea. Cause she didn't have, you know, my father is a great man and everybody knows he's a great man. My father, for, for those that may not know, built 300 churches, very mystical, yeah. spiritual guy, uh, hundreds of thousands of followers. I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and he would touch people. They'd fly across the room. He'd touch people. They would have, you know, in, in Indian culture, sort of Kundalini awakenings, he'd touch people and they would stand up out of wheelchairs. So everyone knew that my father was great and he had a, you know, a bit of, I don't say ego about it, but, but to a degree, you know, he was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one, right? My mother was in the background, quiet. She never had push herself or prove herself or show anything. And I realized she just served humbly with zero ego in the purest way, in the purest way. But when the moment of death came, that's when I realized, cause you can fake it. Like we can sit here and go, yeah, we die. I'm not the body. I'm infinite being. But in that moment, when I looked into this woman's eyes, unflinching, this whole year, this, that whole year, she never cried once. She was a very emotional person. She'd cry all the time, you know, for good and bad. And the entire year, she never cried once. She was completely at peace. We would go into chemo and she'd have her makeup on and dress up like, where are you going? We're going to a party. I mean, she was 
open and, and so at peace, you know, and that is when I saw this is enlightenment. I didn't think enlightenment, like this is enlightenment, the knowingness of who you are and what you are. And that was just powerful for me. It was powerful and it, it really, it stuck with me. It was very, very, very humbling for me to see the real strength of what she was and humbling to realize, shit, I, I missed it my whole life. You know, I, I, I didn't see it my whole life, who she really was, you know? And, and so, and uh, it was a powerful experience, you know, wow. but, but I would say that for anyone who's lost someone, uh, it's hard, but through that process, just like she said, we're not just this body. I felt closer to my mother when she passed than mm. when she was actually alive because the connection was no longer limited to just this conversation. My connection with her now is not limited to the physicality. The connection is just as alive, you know, it's just as alive, just as profound. And so I feel my mother's guiding presence and guiding energy from the other side, wherever she is, every moment. And so I believe if you've lost someone, just know that where they exist and what they really are is not the physical. Where they exist is within you. Where they exist is as a part of you. Where they exist is in your own consciousness. And at that level, you are always connected. Not even death can separate you from them and the real essence of what they are. And so I felt even closer to her. I, in a strange way, I feel even closer to her. You know, now would I love to be able to sit down and have some coffee? Sure. You know, on a human level, but I felt even my spirit felt closer to her because at that level of spirit, I felt like we are deeply connected. So it was very humbling. My mother, what I learned from my mother growing up is she lived her life in pure service to those around her. And that was a powerful example that I wasn't aware of at the time. But when I reflect on her life, she lived her life in service, wanting nothing, seeking nothing. Hey, validate, hey, announce it to people. Hey, tell everyone. There's so many things that she did that she never told anyone, but she just did it in service, in service, living service. And that was a blessing to watch and, and a real impact in my life. In many ways, we do things. It's like, hey, look at all these people I'm helping. Look at all these things I'm doing. Look, and, and, and we don't realize that we're just reinforcing our own ego. And, and, and I saw my mother yeah. do so many things, so many things that I didn't appreciate because I was just watching her live her life. It was all about service. And so it, it set up a paradigm of, of, of being of service for me to my very own needs. Beautiful. How, so if somebody's struggling with, you know, their ego versus their soul, their truth, how do, how does somebody, how does somebody separate the two or at least work with that drive of the ego and the soul? Like, how do we connect to our truth? Like, how do we know that we aren't operating out of a bullshit story or someone else's story? And how do we connect to what it is that's true to us? What are some strategies that you could recommend or that you have had? Yes. So, so let's start on maybe a base practical human level and maybe, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, love it. a base level of a simple place where I think people can begin or one of the things that I also see that keeps us stuck as human beings, are all the ways we lie to ourselves. In many ways, as human beings, as a defense mechanism, protective survival mechanism, we lie to ourselves. We bullshit ourselves. We don't tell the truth to ourselves about who we are, about what we want, about what we feel, about what's real. We suppress, we deny, we disconnect. You know, we stay in relationships that we know aren't right, but we've invested so much or we don't think we're going to find love again or our identity is caught up in this person. We stay in a job, work, career situation that we're no longer aligned with, that is not an expression of our purpose, but we've become successful or, or, or we have fears around survival. And so I think in so many ways, human beings, we keep ourselves stuck because we lie to ourselves about who we are, what we feel, what we want. And so I think one of the simple places that we can begin on a practical level as a practice to begin unraveling, you know, to begin unconditioning ourselves is to start with two couple of questions. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? Simply, what lies am I telling myself? Just start there. What lies am I telling myself? And, and even if you're not willing to be honest, but just even asking the question and bringing that into consciousness becomes yeah. a process. Like, That's great. Yeah. 
Yeah. What lies am I telling myself? I mean, the more honest you're willing to be and courageous and not bullshitting yourself, the deeper you can go. What lies am I telling myself? I think real spirituality in our day and age, I think it's gone a little woo-woo, a little confused. Like, like it's not just lighting some incense and, you know, wearing some malas and doing some yoga, although that's great. Real spirituality is truth. Mm -hmm. Real meditation is the willingness to stop bullshitting yourself. You can do mantras and chantras and yantras, but if you're lying to yourself, bullshitting yourself, cheating on yourself, betraying yourself, cheating on your wife or your husband and not living in a there's nothing spiritual about that, but you can read the Bhagavad Gita. doesn't make a difference to me. Real spirituality starts with the willingness to tell yourself the real, raw truth about what you feel and who you are. That's why it said the truth will set you free. It might piss you off first, but it will set you free. And that's where we have to begin, the truth. So what lies am I telling myself? To me, that's yoga right there. That's meditation right there. So many of the, the problems we go to temple and church that God, please help me, we pray about, I think would dissolve if, if, if we just told ourselves the truth. I am not in a relationship. I'm not, I'm in a relationship that is not aligned. I'm not happy. I'm not in love. And this is the truth. I feel that. I hate my freaking job. That's the honest truth, but I'm staying just out of comfort. Tell the truth, feel that instead of sugarcoating it. That's a place to begin. Now, one of the reasons I think we're afraid to tell ourselves the truth is because there's a fear of, oh shit, if I tell myself the truth, I'm afraid of the consequences. I'm afraid of what will I do? I'm going to have to leave my job. I'm going to have to leave my relationship. What will I have to do? And so I, th I, I just would invite people, take the pressure off of yourself for even having to take action. Don't worry about taking action. Just the acknowledgement of the truth. When you're willing to take the pressure off of having to take action now and just acknowledge the truth that begin a process within you. I'm in a relationship and I'm not happy and I'm not in love. This is the truth. Feel that. That starts the process. I hate my job. I'm not happy. I haven't been happy in 15 years. Feel that. That starts a burn inside. So what lies am I telling myself? Number two, what am I pretending to not know? What am I pretending? Because in so many ways we play a game of confusion. I don't know if this relationship is right. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm confused, but we use confusion. Ego is very sneaky. We talked about ego. Ego is very sneaky. It creates the sort of smoke screen around us of confusion as a way to not have to take actions. Like I'm confused. Well, we're not confused. We know what's right. We know what's not right. We know what's aligned. We, we, we know what our purpose is, but there's a fear. If I really own the truth about, let's say my purpose, I might have to do something about it, you know? So confusion becomes a smoke screen to protect ourselves for the ego to preserve its sense of existence or sense of identity, right? We'll talk about ego in a second. Third question is, what are the lies I'm telling myself? What is it costing? And actually be willing to feel the pain of the cost. Here's what I believe, that pain is a, pain is a gift. When we often feel pain in our life, I feel depressed, I feel sad, I feel mad, I feel pain. What we tend to do is we suppress it, we deny it, we drink it away, we sex it away, we social media it away, we eat it away, we chop it away, we whatever it is to not feel that pain, which just keeps us stuck and disconnected from our truth. You cannot be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not or living someone else's life. And so what is the cost of living this life? What is the cost of not being real with myself, not being true to myself, of betraying myself, of lying to myself? And feel that, like actually feel the pain. The pain is a messenger. The pain is a gift. The pain is a friend. The pain is trying to get your attention, to bring, showing you where you're not in alignment, to bring you into a deeper alignment. That is the gift of the pain. And so when we don't, somebody might ask, well, well how do I know if I, that I'm lying to myself? If I'm lying to myself, how the hell do I know? Here's a couple of, you, after this next minute, of what I'm going to share, you'll never be able to say you don't know again. So, so that with truth comes responsibility. And so many times we don't want the truth because we don't want the responsibility because now we'll have no one to blame. And, and so that's why I say truth is real spirituality. Truth is real spirituality. So here's how you might know you're lying to yourself, but if you're not sure. Number one, you, it, it often manifests as emotional pain. So depression, anger, resentment, you know, lethargy, 
right? This sort of emotional pain can be a sign that you're, there's a truth you're not telling. You can tell me, I'm telling myself the truth, everything is great, but I'm depressed. Something's, something's off, right? Something's out of alignment. So this emotional pain, physical pain, some physical ailment, shoulder ache, back ache, eye ache, some, some physical ailment is a manifestation of where you, the truth you're not acknowledging manifesting in your body, trying to communicate to you, hey, pay attention. You got a pain in your knee. There's something going on with your foot. Pay attention. That can be a sign. A more long-term dis-ease, again, the suppressed feelings and emotions that you're not acknowledging manifesting as a dis-ease to get your attention, to teach you in some way. I believe that pain or physical disease is actually a teacher and some part of us communicating to us. So some physical disease, it can manifest because your life becomes stagnant or stuck and stops flowing. So as you're not acknowledging the flow of energy inside of you, life stops flowing as a energetic mirror manifestation of your own sort of disconnect. That's another way. Number five, I would say you begin to attract people into your life that reflect the, the feelings, the suppressed feelings that you're not acknowledging. It's like, well, Lance Coop, what, what? I keep attracting people that are angry or I attract so many people in my life that are depressed. Yeah. It's not them. We think it's them, but there's a part of us that's not acknowledging something. And as a result, we attract people that act out and play out our own unconscious reflecting that back to us. So these are some ways that if you're not sure, am I lying to myself or, or am I not? That if these are manifesting, it's a great way to say there's probably something, something that this is showing me that I'm lying to myself. So I, I would say one place that we can start is with the acknowledgement of the truth and, and working that like a process, like a meditation, like a yoga, like a daily, a daily practice with ourselves, you know, that's a place to start. And so in terms of ego, I think ego is sneaky in a certain sense because we've been told that this ego is a thing. It's like a thing, like, you know, you have a bottle, you have a phone, and then you have ego, but ego really is, I, I would say ego is not really a problem. It's not really an issue. It wants to be a problem because the more we make it a problem, the more we give it a reality, the more we give it an sense of existence. Ego is really a process. It's a process of identify, of identification with body, with, with, with emotion, with beliefs, with stories, with memories, with trauma, with conditioning from the past that we hold onto tightly as me. So it's a process of identifying with ourselves as all of that collection of patterns, beliefs, emotions, memories, uh, feelings, and body that's, that's layered in the past. The more we identify that, the more we are in ego. But ego isn't actually a solid thing as a phone and ego, it's the process of identifying. And often what we're not aware of is from the moment we're born, we start getting conditioned into identifying Good boy, bad boy, good girl. Oh, be that way. Oh, I love it when you're that. Oh, you have a nice smile. Oh, I come in. And so we start identifying. We start learning all sorts of ways to avoid pain, disconnect, disconnect, avoid pain, survive. And who do I need to be in order to get love and, and validation from, from, from my parents or, or my caregivers? For me, as a young boy growing up in the church, I was, oh, I got to be, I got to be a good kid. I got to be the good kid. Got to be the responsible one. Got to take care of everyone. You know, can't be this, can't be that, can't get in trouble. Have to be nice, have to pretend to be nice, even though I'm not always nice. And so there was a role and a mask and a persona that we all develop. Be the independent one, be the funny one, be the caregiver. The list goes on. And so we've learned to become and identify with a certain pattern. We've learned to become and, and identify with being a certain person that we've become conditioned into being. And that conditioning we hold tightly onto that gets reinforced by the world, by society, by media. Media, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. But hey, hey just, just wear this underwear and everyone's going to love you and just drink this, you know, have this car and you're going to be amazing. And, and so we get conditioned and we start identifying with all of these things as ourselves. We think, no, this is who I am. It's who I am. It's ego. And so I say ego is not the enemy and ego is not the problem. The belief in the ego as you is the issue. Mm -hmm. But when you can realize that the ego is really not a thing and it's not you, 
It's just a process and a pattern that you hold on to as you and believe to be you, and you start seeing through that illusion, then something can start freeing up. Part of the reason we tend to be so afraid of surrendering, because surrendering means letting go of the idea of who we think we are, the way we think life is, and ego, and, and for the ego, that threatens the sense of self, that threatens the sense of identity. And so the ego's like, oh shit, if I'm not this, who the hell am I? Yeah. So, so we start resisting new ideas, new possibilities, letting go of stories. No, 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 I can't let go of stories. I can't surrender because what will I be without that story, without that idea? And so I, so he goes like, well, I have to, I got to do everything. I got to make everything happen. I got to be the manifest and manifest everything. This sense of doership is ego. And that sense of doership is the way that ego reinforces its existence. So we could, we got to do, we got to always be busy, always got to be doing, always got to be in control, always got to be making shit happen. And so when we, this is why when we say surrender, it's like we're letting go and we, we come back into that sense of identif identification and ego. But when we can start realizing, ah, it's questioning, what is, is who you are, who you really are, or is who, you, who I am simply what I've been conditioned to? And what if I wasn't that? And so we have to start asking, beginning to question and ask ourselves the question, who am I really? You know, the age old question, who am I really? What am I really? Who is this I? Where, where do I exist? What is the sign? You know, it's like, if you open your brain, would you find you in there? It's like, where do I exist? And even just beginning to ask yourself the questions, my beliefs, I'm Christian, I'm Buddhist, I'm black, I'm this, I'm that. It's like, these are just labels that we hold on to. Am I that? Am I that? Do I believe that? Do I actually believe that? Many of the things we believe about ourselves are just stories that we've made up, that we attach to. They're stories that we believe to be us, but that's not. So I think what we have to start doing is, which takes courage, which is terrifying for the ego, is to question ourselves, question who we are, question what we believe, question those stories, question those sacred cows that we believe ourselves to be, that we hold so tightly, because all of those labels and stories, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, end up limiting us and getting in the way of life flow, life move, you know, life living us. Because we, we're holding so tightly to the program of what we have been programmed to be. And so questioning, I think, becomes a, a first place to start. What would I believe if I didn't need to believe that? What would I say if I didn't need to say that? What would I, where would I, what would I do if I didn't need to be who I've always been being, you know? And, and just beginning that process of questioning, I think, is a, is a good place to begin. Man, there's so much there. That's gold, man. There's, there's a lot of really useful information there. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's, it's got to sit with that for a sec. There's a lot of people that are struggling, whatever, going through the adversity that they're going through in, in the world in the last 18 months or now, or, you know, whatever they're sitting in. If you had some advice around somebody going through adversity right now, what would you say to them and how would you tie in surrendering to them overcoming the adversity in their life? Yeah. Uh, first, you know, going through any adversity is never easy, especially when we're going through it. It is challenging when we're going through it. difficult, scary sometimes when we're going through it. But what I will say, because I want to give hope is congratulations. You are alive. If you're going through adversity, I actually think this is a sign that you're growing and evolving. This is a sign that you are outgrowing your current level of living, your current identity. And adversity challenge is really the, the opportunity for you to learn the lessons, to put into practice everything you've learned up until that moment so that you can graduate to your next level. And so whenever you're, li first, let's just start on a spiritual. I think when you understand the purpose of life, is the purpose of life to just be born? You just spit out into this world, shit, eat, make, have babies, go on vacation, buy a nice car, nice house, get some Bitcoin and then die. Or, or is there more to this whole thing <laughs> than that? You know, it's like, shit, there's got to be more. Why the hell do we incarnate? I believe that we are souls. So I think it starts from when you really understand from a higher level and we'll bring it down who you are, that you're not just this body, this personality. This story going through this moment, even if it might seem shitty, 
You are a soul that incarnated into the human experience, an infinite soul that incarnated into the human experience and dimension of seeing limitation. You incarnated and chose to be here because there were certain lessons that your soul needed to learn. And so when you really get that, well, I chose to be here because I'm here. How do I know I'm meant to be here? Because I'm here and I incarnated. And every life is soul school. Life is a university for your soul. That means if that's the case and you see it that way, that every, every experience of your life, shitty, amazing, successful, difficult, every relationship, challenging, abusive, hurtful, blissful, soulmate, you know, someone who betrays you, every experience is part of your soul's curriculum and everyone is your teacher. And that means every single moment of your life and the purpose of your life is really for your soul's evolution to give you the opportunity to learn, to grow, to evolve, learn the lesson where you are at so that you can become more of who you really are and live more love in every moment. And so when you, I think you understand and reframe and understand the purpose of life, you understand, well, if, if life is about my evolution, it's about my soul's evolution. Because at the end of our life, we take nothing with us. But if it's about the evolution of my soul and every experience, and life is a school and every experience is part of that, that evolutionary curriculum and learning that I can learn something, then you, sh you become more multidimensional and you shift your perspective from, hey, what? why is this happening to me? The shitty thing's happening to me. Why is this not happening to me? I'm going through this bad thing and it's terrible. And can you believe what they're doing? And what? That's the one dimensional sort of level of the story, right? This is, this is terrible. This is challenging. To, that's the level of the story. But so there's the goal line and then there's the soul line the level of the soul. And when you understand that, you start looking at, okay, this is what's happening. It's challenging. Yes, it's challenging. But if I'm here to grow, learn, and evolve, and life is a school, then, then you start surrendering and learning to the lesson inherent in the situation. The lesson inherent in this difficult, dark moment, challenging time, bankruptcy, illness, difficulty, betrayal. You're not a victim. Your soul signed up for this moment. Your soul signed up to go through this. When you can go through that difficult time of adversity, not as a victim, but as a soul, with that realization of your soul, you become empowered and you start focusing on what's the lesson that I'm seeking to learn here? What is the lesson that my soul is seeking to evolve through and grow through? Because when you learn the lesson, you graduate that experience. And as you graduate that experience, you transcend into a new dimension, into a new experience, and you begin to attract a different kind of experience. And so... That starts shifting, you start shifting your relationship with the challenging situation in the adversity so you can extract the lesson. And through the extraction, integration of the lesson, become strong. You become, you become stronger. You become more ready. You become more capable. You become more, shall we say, prepared to be on the human level to be able to grow and fulfill your destiny. Look at, look at uh, Nelson Mandela. I'm just trying to help people, man. 27 years in Dax, I don't know about you yeah. or me yeah. or anyone else listening to this conversation. If you spent 27 years in prison or close to it, I haven't. That's an adversity right there. But I'm going to propose that this is part of the curriculum that his soul needed to go through. Needed to. Be. So he had to surrender to that and go, let me use this as the preparation for my soul. Challenges are soul tests and preparation that we get to go through so that we can develop the mental, emotional, spiritual muscle to fulfill our destiny. If Mandela didn't go through that 27 years in prison, I'm going to propose that he probably would not have been forced to access and develop the depth of compassion, wisdom, visioning, forgiveness, soul force that would be necessary so that he could fulfill his dharma, fulfill his true purpose in this life. It took 27 years and he used that time. The challenge is many of the times we go through adversity and we resist, we moan, we groan, we complain, we, we, we go into victim and, we, and so we don't learn the lesson, we don't extract the lesson. And so all lessons repeated until learned and we keep recycling the lesson. So when the adversity is there, see it for what it is, Life is, life is an evolutionary process. And when you really get and play that game as a different game, it's, a, it's an infinite game of life as an evolutionary process, 
you start to become free in any moment because the real freedom and the real success is not so much about did you get the thing or did you not get the thing? Did you achieve the goal or did you not achieve the goal? It really becomes about did you learn the lesson inherent in every situation? That's the freedom and that's the power. And if you learn the lesson in every situation, that is success, real success, soul success, evolutionary success. That is what it's really about. And I think when we really see that, life takes on a different dimension. Then you begin to even welcome the adversities. It's like, it's like a video game. I mean, if you're sitting on a video game, right? I don't know if you played video games when you were a kid, you master level two. This is so boring, right? I, I could do this in my sleep. You don't stay in level two. You go to level three, which yeah. now I'm at level three. And then you go to level four. It's like, whoa, it's a little more challenging. And then you fall down and you tossed out the game, game over. Then you come back and you master level four and then you master level five. And that's the growth. You don't stay at level one because you, you're whipping everyone's ass in the video game. You go to level two. So we incarnate into this human experience of limitation, I believe to become masters of limitation, to learn how to, be, to find freedom and mastery inside of limitation. How, how much evolution would there be if we were born into an infinite paradise where, hey, think of a billion dollars, poof, a billion dollars appears in an instant and everyone's eating your grapes and all of your desires just manifested like that. You could have unlimited sex, unlimited bliss, unlimited, you know, Coca-Cola, unlimited everything, you knit fat, everything. It's just like, what kind of growth is that? But we incarnate into this dimension, three-dimensional reality of seeming limitation so that we can become masters in it and find the freedom through this experience. To me, that's power. And so I think if people can reframe that, then you can say adversity, bring it on. Because if you're facing adversity, that must mean you are ready. That must mean you're ready for your next level. Because if, because if you're not ready for the next level, you don't go to the, to, to the SATs. You don't go for the exams because the teacher says, you're not ready. Go do some more study. Come back when you're ready. So when shit hits the fan and adversity shows up, it's the test showing you you're ready. Put it into practice so you can graduate. Dropping bombs there. If we want to check you out and learn more about you, where can we find you? What's the best way to do that? Kublaxon.com. It's my website. Uh, people can go there. There's a free video series on finding your purpose there that people can sign up for. So Kublaxon.com, my name. Instagram, Kublaxon. Facebook, Kublove Now. Send a message, say hi. I'm all over the internet. Good stuff. My, my podcast, Soul Talk, people can find it there too. Amazing, man. This was such a powerful conversation, dude. You like almost just speechless because you just covered so much. Sometimes when I just get blown with that much information, I'm just like, I need time to process. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was, that was so much fire, bro. And I, I know that people are going to get so much out of that because that was such a different perspective. You know, I've had almost, what, almost 350 episodes and I'm uh -huh. blessed to be able to have different perspectives right yeah. that was such a it, that was such a different one the way you explained it though was just mm. it was gold and it was like it was just something that i haven't received before so thank nice. you nice. thank you for delivering such a powerful message because i know that if i was moved by it like i was i know so many people will be and i'm excited for your new book dude thank you so much i really really appreciate it thanks for having me appreciate it